On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we're going to take another look at marriage, divorce, and remarriage, a topic we've talked about many times before, but one that's very worthwhile to study again. It's one of those topics you almost would rather never have to deal with, but unfortunately it touches so many lives that we need people to to study and learn and understand God's will in this important matter. All right, so we're going to talk about that on the program. You'll want to stay tuned. We're going to get started right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and this is the virtual bible study for march 1st 2018 thank you for joining us tonight my name is jacob Gwynn. my father greg Gwynn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you good to be with you as well and uh, kyle's behind the boards kyle welcome to the program it's good to be here glad to have you here and we're glad that you're listening tonight we want to hear from you at eight Seven seven three eight one four five six seven questions at collegeview.com and they're filing into the chat room tonight so sign in with other listeners there and share your comments with us there jacob uh marriage divorce remarriage of course marriage is a wonderful blessing from god but unfortunately divorce happens too and then the question of who can remarry is an issue we got to deal with a lot i thought about looking up some current statistics on divorce but then I decided, you know, it's really probably not even worthwhile because we all know that divorce is, is a big problem. It's, it happens a lot. Uh, I mean, you can you, you can find statistics that suggest maybe one out of every two marriages end in divorce or something of that nature. The fact of the matter is we all know and have had experience, probably have had family members who've been touched with uh, divorce, and uh, it's it's a problem that really exist in our society we need to know god's truth about it our uh fam- families in our society are suffering our society as a whole is suffering from the consequences of failure to heed god's uh, word and will on the subject of the family yeah so earlier today we sent out our update indicating what we were going to be discussing we always do that on thursday midday and you can get on our mailing list if you're not send us an email to questions at collegeview.com just say add me to the list, and we'd be glad to do that. Why don't you say, add me to the list and send me a bumper sticker? And send a bumper sticker okay. uh, as well. So to our update list today, we sent out these questions. Number one, what do we know about the design and purpose of marriage? Number two, are people required to comply with civil law regarding marriage? Do they have to have a ceremony performed? Is it required? Are those two questions or one? Well, they're really two questions. But I think so. Together, yeah. Okay. Number three, what is the general rule of God concerning the permanency of marriage? Number four, explain the one scriptural exception that allows for divorce. Number five, how would you answer, and I'm not going to read all these just yet, but we listed a number of erroneous views that people have and have espoused and try to teach about divorce. Got an email from uh, our friend Bob up in Indiana who suggested one more. We'll try to add to the list. Oh, boy. Okay. We're not going to read those till we get to them. All right. Well, and those will have to go pretty quick. I mean, you probably spend a lot of time on each one, but we'll try to go pretty quick because there's about 
I think, seven or eight of them. All right. So we'll look forward to that uh, from hearing from you. And uh, as we talk about this important subject tonight, you know, we talk about God's will. And uh, God's will, many times in this subject, is viewed as just sort of being some type of blight or... Uh, it's some, a handicap. Yeah, it, you know, it, 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 it really wish and, and ruins our fun. Really uh, wish God hadn't been so restrictive on this yeah. subject. Maybe uh, that's what people say. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people think. But I really believe the principle that Moses set forth in Deuteronomy six verse twenty four is true here. And in all things, if we have the wisdom to accept it. God commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. And so, um, you know, you really stop to think about it, and I think all of us would acknowledge this. People who have gone through divorce, have that didn't make them happier. Divorce is a heartbreaking thing whenever it happens and, and however it happens. It's not a good thing. It's a negative thing. And if you think in your own experience of people that you've known who've had really happy, uh, fulfilled lives, typically you're going to find that associated with people who were married and stayed married. You know, but, So here's a couple that's been married for 70 years. And they've really been blessed by the fact that they followed God's plan for that marriage and, and, and pursued it. Uh, so our own experience, if we'll, if, we'll, if we'll do a little time analyzing it our own experience bears out that god's plan concerning marriage is is good and is for our good all right and uh, you hear god just wants me to be happy surely god wants me to be happy well he does want you to be happy on his terms not on yours and how you made well he wants you to be happy and he knows the best way to be happy right it's not and you don't that's right so uh follow what he said about it it's not in man that walketh to direct his own steps jeremiah 10 23 there you go all right so the first question we ask is, what do we know about the design and purpose of marriage? Well, we can go all the way back to the very beginning when God instituted uh, the marriage relationship, and we can find out the very basic principles upon which it is established. And you'd have to say that the first thing that's mentioned in relationship to the, uh, to man and woman being together is procreation. Okay. Uh, because in Genesis chapter 1, after just having created man and woman, the first thing he instructed them, verse 28 of Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And so God, God instituted marriage for the purposes of procreation uh, to, to produce the race. But also, you, I mean, that's a very general statement, but you think about it, it's not only to produce children, but to rear and nurture children Right, is, is in that marriage relationship. And, and in a very big way, part of what really suffers when God's marriage law is not observed is that uh, children are procreated, but they're not reared uh, in the kind of environment that God wants them to be reared in, and children really suffer. Yeah. Uh, from the divorce equation. So certainly procreation was a part of the purpose. But I think maybe the very most fundamental purpose is in chapter 2 of Genesis. At verse 18, the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. And so the idea of companionship uh, is 
is part is a big part, a fundamental part of what the marriage relationship is all about. And so, uh, you know, it, it's good to have a partner, a life partner, uh, that companionship that is like no other, uh, a closeness that can't be uh, uh, compared in, in, in other, any other relationship. And that's that's part of God's plan for marriage as well. All right. Let us know your thoughts tonight. Uh, sign in the chat room. Got another question in the chat room uh, we'll get to later on in the discussion. Send in your questions there and your comments. What are the purposes of marriage? What's the design and purpose of marriage? You know, um, unfortunately, we have to uh, define terms here when we talk about marriage. And that is that it is between a man and a woman. Didn't have to do that. Uh, you've got an old outline here in front of us um but uh and it touches on that but you didn't have to emphasize it as much in older days uh, just a few years ago than you do now then you yeah do now. it's, it's uh, I, I didn't even think about commenting on that i figured everybody who would be listening and participating in our study night understood we're, we're not talking about uh, same-sex relationships we're talking about man woman that's the way god instituted marriage that's what marriage is and men can try to redefine it but that's not marriage no nope. uh, but, you know, I would add, I guess, before we end that very brief comment about the purpose and design of marriage, certainly marriage is, is the avenue through which God provided for the legitimate fulfillment of intimate desires. Okay. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, Paul says, To avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, at verse 4, uh the Hebrew writer says marriage is honorable and all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So, again, a part of the very basic groundwork for marriage is that it provides this legitimate avenue uh, to fulfill those desires that are in us uh, naturally. Kent from Calhoun, Georgia, signs in tonight and says that the purpose and design of marriage is for the procreation, love, companionship, and to promote good in society. Scriptural marriage can and should be used as a means to encourage both marriage partners to make preparation for them and their children for eternity. Thank you, Kent. Okay, I think that's right. I think that's exactly right. That's a pretty easy question. I, I really Now, as you say, in recent decades, men in our society have tried to pervert the whole concept of marriage and even the very definition of marriage. But uh, I don't think those people are probably involved in our Bible study tonight. For us who believe the Bible and who accept God's truth, we understand these very basic elementary uh, building blocks of marriage. God's word is not ambiguous on either the design or the purpose of marriage. Very clear. Yeah. All right. Now, what does it take to be married? Uh, maybe I should have asked question. I asked question two. I said, are people required to comply with civil law regarding marriage? And I asked, is a ceremony required? Maybe even more basic than that should ask, what does it take to constitute being married? Um, you know, so here's, here's a man and a woman. And they go off and they they engage in a relationship with one another, an illicit relationship with one another. They're not married. That doesn't just because a man and a woman are together, even together physically, doesn't constitute that they're married. What makes a man and a woman married versus fornicating? I think every society has some recognized methodology 
for establishing a couple as being married so that the others in the society know they are married, that they're not just together in, in an illicit relationship. You know, the old example that goes way back, I remember when I was uh, young, uh, preachers would talk about in certain uh, native tribes, the, the procedure was... Uh, uh, for a man and woman to hold hands and jump over a broomstick, and that, and when they did that, it meant they were married. Okay, okay. If that's what it is, if that's what it is in the culture and the society where you are, then that's what you do. But you have to do something to to establish the fact that you are married, that you're not just living together, so to speak. And so, whatever that is, and you know, I remember when when. Um, Abraham's servant had gone back to the homeland to find a bride for Isaac. We well, found Rebecca, and he brought her back. and And when she, as the caravan was arriving, Isaac went out to meet them, and he took Rebecca and he took her into his mother's tent, and they became a husband and a wife. Well, apparently, the established formality there was that matter of going into one, to, to his mother's tent that established that they were to be a married couple and, and, and the bible doesn't go into great detail about that but that seems to be what's implied there but it, it's different in different places in, in the world in different cultures and different societies but i would submit that in every society there is some way to identify a married couple versus a couple that's sinning and and whatever that is, we need to do. Yeah, all right, uh, certainly. Um, and and you talked about uh, apply, uh, following the laws of the land. Do we need to submit to those laws? Well, I I certainly believe that in our culture, this would be one of the the ways that we establish that we're married. Um, so you, I, I think every state in the union, you have to get a marriage license. And so you go through the formalities of getting a marriage license, and you complete that, and and possibly pay whatever minor fees are associated with that, and 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 you file it appropriately, and that de- designates you in the eyes of society as being a married couple. I think you should do that for two reasons. One is because it's simply the law of the land in Romans chapter thirteen, and other passages tell us that we are to submit to the laws yes. of the land. But more so even than that is it is also a part of the recognized methodology to identify yourself as a married couple. Yep. Do you need do you need a ceremony? You don't necessarily need a ceremony. Uh that may also sort of factor into helping you be recognized as married, but in, there's there's no there's no cere- formal ceremony that's specified in the Bible, nor is there one that's specified uh, by the laws of the land, uh, so you know a lot of that's discretionary. But again, it's more than it, a one night stand. It, it, you have to be able to. It has to be identifiable and recognizable that you are committing. Uh, we could wait back way up again to Genesis in chapter two, verse twenty four. The, the Bible says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, they shall be one flesh. Uh, so there, there's the idea of separating from your parents' family unit and establishing a new family unit. You're cleaving to your wife. To, the word cleave there, uh, some commentators have suggested that that is sort of like probably the thing that we identify most with would be maybe the idea of super gluing two things together. 
you superglue two things together, you can't separate them without damaging both both parts. Mm-hmm. And some have said that's sort of the idea of that Bible word cleave, to, to really bind them together, uh, certainly a, a level, a high level of commitment to one another, and then to become as one, to become one flesh. I think that certainly suggests the physical union of marriage, but marriage, but more than that, that, that you actually become as though you were one person. All right. We are overdue for a break. Let's get that when we get back. We'll get to your questions and your comments. Send them in the chat room. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. I'm Dan Quillen, a member of the College of Church of Christ, with some thoughts about making plans. Have you made any definite plans for your spiritual life and for your service for God? We spend time prioritizing personal lives and setting goals in our careers, but do we think in those terms about the most important thing, our soul? Ask yourself these questions. What am I planning to do for God today? In the coming week, what good thoughts will I accomplish for Him? At this time next year, where do I want to be in my spiritual life? In five years from now, how will I have changed, improved, and grown in my work for God? Ten years from today, how will my family be? How will I have helped them grow spiritually? Twenty years down the road, how will I be doing? As I approach death, what will have been the most important things in my life? Where will I be in eternity? Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Back on the program tonight as we talk about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. God's rules, God's laws for marriage. What does God expect us, uh, what roles and responsibilities does God expect as far as the marriage bond? Um, Kent, in his email to us, said individuals are required to obey civil law regarding marriage. Civil law is not the standard of authority for the basis of scriptural marriage and can never countermand God's law. However, Romans 13.1 necessitates that all individuals are to be in subjection to all civil laws that do not conflict with the law of God. In our social, excuse me, in our society, civil law regulates contracts and those entering into such. In addition to the fact that marriage is regulated by divine law, it is also a binding contract. Because in our society, civil law regulates contracts and marriage is a contract, one must comply with civil law regarding marriage. God has not prescribed a particular ceremony for marriage. However, we must abide by what civil law sets forth regarding such to be in obedience to God. I believe Good. that's true. I believe I, I agree with that. All right. Again, I would say the identifying act as much as anything, too. It identifies us as being married. Okay. So now, real quickly, the, the next step of that is what's the general rule of God concerning permanency in marriage, the permanency of the marriage relationship? Okay. Well, the general rule is stated by Jesus in Matthew 19, verse 6. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Uh, that that's the way it's supposed to be. Marriage is supposed to be for the life of the marriage partners. That's the plan of God. That's his will. That's what he has expressed to us. Romans 7, verse 2, The woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she's loose from the law of her husband. So there's the expression that we use a lot of times in marriage cer- ceremonies is, Till death do us part. Uh, Not scriptural. That's Wording, not that's necessarily, not, but, but scriptural in concept. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, also in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39, 1 Corinthians 7, 39, the wife is bound by the law as long as her husband liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is at liberty to be married to whom she will only in the Lord. So uh, 
the, I don't think there's any question that the general rule that God has concerning marriage is one man, woman, one woman for life. That uh, you know that needs to probably be re-emphasized, especially for the, those that are younger in our audience, the fact that, that this is a permanent arrangement and, and that it's God's design that it be so. And the society just, that's a foreign concept to so many other societies. It, it, it's really surprising to me because that's, that's something that's happened within this last generation. Yeah. You know, if you went back 50 years ago, it was still so in our society that divorce was a shameful thing for those who even even someone who would be as we would typically identify as a, an innocent victim of divorce those even those who were innocent and had had not caused the divorce still felt a, a sense of shame because it had happened in their family that's completely gone it's pretty it's pretty amazing how quickly that has changed yeah yeah so we we really have to emphasize that unfortunately yeah Kent says in his email, one woman for one man for life. He emphasizes Matthew 5.32, Matthew 19.9, Romans 7, verses 1 through 3. Okay. So, man, we're doing good. we got five questions tonight. We've already got three of them done. Wow. All right. But now the, the, now, the, harder, ones, okay. uh, the harder ones hit. The fourth question we asked was, explain the one scriptural exception that allows for divorce. So, you know, we've been saying God has a plan, and his, his ideal plan for marriage is one man, one woman for life. But there, there's a stated exception. And the verse that we always reference is Matthew 19, verse 9. Whosoever shall put away his wife. Jesus is speaking. He says, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. So... Uh, to to illustrate this in the simplest way that we possibly could, here's a man and a woman, and they're married. He's not to divorce her. If he divorces her and marries someone else, he's committed adultery. But if she has been guilty of fornication, that is that she's not been faithful to the marriage vows, uh, she's been intimate with another individual, then he can put her away for that reason and marry without remarry someone else without committing adultery. Okay. So the, the, the exception is if your marriage partner has been unfaithful to you, you can put that unfaithful marriage partner away or divorce them for that reason, and you would be at liberty to marry again without sin. Other than that, there's no other stated exception in the scriptures that allows for someone to be married to someone else than the one that you were first married to. So this verse, from this verse, in this verse alone, we could imply that if you divorce someone for some reason other than sexual immorality and marry another, you're going to commit adultery. Yeah, there's no other exception. There's no other. There's no other justification for divorce that allows remarriage. All right. right. Now. A statement of Jesus that helps confirm that is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. Jesus said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. So notice Jesus said there, so if you were to put away your wife and and she had not been guilty of fornication, then you're going to be causing her to commit adultery because when she remarries, she'll commit adultery. 
So whosoever put away his wife except for the cause of fornication causes her to commit adultery. Obviously, if she if he puts her away for fornication, he's not causing her to be an adulterer. She already has been one. But but again, this confirms the single exception of the scripture. And in the context, the question or the uh, the context is about just the sort of free divorce idea that if you just want to divorce your wife, just give her a certificate of divorce. Verse thirty one in Matthew uh, oh, in Matthew oh, five thirty one. Yeah. So. And in Matthew nineteen nine as well, so that's Jesus is saying no, you can't just get a divorce for any reason. If you get a divorce for any reason other than the cause of fornication, then you're violating God's will. I think that's exactly right. Okay, um, fornication is a broad term. For, the word fornication literally means any illicit sexual contact or relationship. It's a general term that involves all kinds of sins of a sexual nature. Some some of the newer versions actually translate it as sexual immorality, which I think may not be real helpful because that's too broad of a terminology. Because all forms of 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 immoral sexual acts are fornication. I, I think that the Greek lexicons will bear out that the the term fornication suggests illicit sexual contact between individuals and so it would have to i mean you can do you can do immoral things sexually immoral things that would not be fornication so i think we've got to be a little bit careful about because a lot of newer translations there instead of saying fornication are going to say sexual immorality and i think that's too broad of a term uh, but this is talking about illicit relationships illicit intimate contact it would include adultery no a, a married person having relationship with someone other than their spouse mm-hmm. uh, it would talk about unmarried persons uh, uh, well in, in regards to 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 marriage it would be um, the one of the marriage partners having a sexual relationship with someone other than their spouse but it would also include things like homosexuality, mm-hmm. uh, which would be illicit contact between individuals. And so uh, fornication is a broad term. Adultery is a subset of fornication. Fornication is the broad term. Adultery is a subset of the broad term of fornication. All right. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. And please sign in the chat room if you see some other justification for divorce that we have not listed here Uh from what we see in the scriptures, only one cause. But if you disagree, we'd love to hear from you. And I think you got to really notice that uh, it has to be for the cause. Go back to Matthew nineteen nine. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and marry another, commits adultery. So it has to be for that cause. The the extra question that came in was uh, from up in Indiana, and a listener asked, "What about my mate committed adultery after we got a divorce? Uh, is is that okay, or am I free to remarry?" And notice that doesn't that doesn't fit the pattern here. Right. So the divorce has to be, in other words, I. So if it's me, and my my wife has been unfaithful, I put her away for that cause. Then I'm at liberty to remarry. But if I put her away and she hasn't committed fornication, right? But then maybe sometime later, years later, commits fornication. That's not the reason I put her away. So I didn't put her away for. Notice, it wasn't for fornication that I put her away. 
Therefore, I'm not at liberty to remarry uh, because the divorce wasn't for that specific cause. All right. 877-381-4567. That was a a big controversy uh, uh, in, in the church a few years back, and some people... Some people uh, coined a phrase to to uh, sort of identify that, and they called it mental divorce. In other words, so so here was the scenario. Here's a woman. Her husband puts her away. She's not guilty. She hasn't done anything. She hasn't been immoral. She hasn't been unfaithful. But he puts her away. So time goes on, and then maybe ten years later, he takes up with another woman. There was an argument being stated, well, now she can put him away because he's been unfaithful. Uh, but you can't you can't do it through the normal divorce courts because the divorce has already taken place. And so you just do it mentally. You, you mentally put that person away. Uh, and, and it came to be called mental divorce, and it, it was quite a controversy, and there were some debates conducted about it. Uh, that's clearly not fitting the pattern that, that is described here. The divorce, at the time it takes place, must be for the identified purpose of fornication. You're, the innocent person puts away their guilty spouse for fornication, and then and only then, does this exception kick in and they have the right to remarry without sin? All right, we're going to take a break at this week's bullet point. When we get back, we'll continue the discussion. Fairly simple, again, uh, one cause, one cause only. Divorce for a cause other than that is a violation of God's will. Remarriage, what are the rules for remarriage then after a divorce. We'll talk about that when we get back. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Wynn with this week's bullet point. Do you ever think, I'm just one? I don't have great talents. There are so many others. Someone else can do better than me. My work, my efforts, my contributions aren't that significant. Have you imagined that no one will notice if you aren't there, if you don't get involved? If so, you need to spend time remembering some familiar Bible stories. Consider the importance of one person, or at least just a few persons, when Noah saved the human race from total annihilation in the global flood. Joseph overcame being sold as a slave, rose to high office in Egypt, and ultimately helped his entire family and nation in the midst of a terrible famine. Moses stood up to Pharaoh and delivered the children of Israel from bondage. Joshua and Caleb brought back a good report on the promised land. Gideon and his 300 men won a battle against a huge army. David defeated Goliath and in the process encouraged the army of Israel to a major victory over the Philistines. Elijah withstood the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Nehemiah single-handedly motivated and led the people to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Queen Esther saved the Jews from Haman's plot to have them all killed. The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so forth, steadfastly proclaimed God's word even though they were opposed and persecuted. And, of course, the ultimate example is Jesus himself, who suffered and died alone so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins and have the hope of heaven in eternity. The next time you think, I'm just one, my work doesn't matter, remember that the history of God's people is the history of a faithful few who did what they could to serve him. Let's get busy. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. 
broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we're back on the program. I notice you're sort of getting uh, low on your list of bullet points. Your, 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 your backlog is running low there. Should we ask listeners for, like, guest bullet point segments? Oh, I don't know. Maybe we could do that. You want to record one? Maybe we could we could air it. Yeah. Why don't we? Well, do... it have to be, but you have to. It has to be subject to editing. And subject to editing, of yeah, course, or yeah. we, or maybe not. We'll just play it and we can comment afterwards. So, guess bullet points, maybe that <laughs> maybe. might be a new feature. Right. Uh, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ. Our website is thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you haven't been there, check it out. Listen to us on a podcast. If you haven't been to our website. You'll check it out. And find out lots of information there. TheVirtualBibleStudy.com. Okay, let's real quickly cover a couple of questions that have come in the chat room. The first one is, is there a biblical difference between the modern legal terms divorce and separated? I don't know. I'm, I, I don't, the, uh, I'm not exactly sure. There is, there is such a thing as a legal separation by our law. And I don't know that the Bible identifies with that at all. The closest thing I could think of is First um, Corinthians seven, verse three: Let the husband do benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power over her body, but the husband. Likewise, the husband hath not power over his body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one another, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. The Bible doesn't teach the idea of separation for for whatever cause. In other words, as husbands and wives, we have duties to one another. We have to be fulfilling uh, a wide spectrum of responsibilities to one another. I can't fulfill my responsibilities as a husband if I'm if I if I have purposefully separated from my wife. Here, Paul specifically mentions a, a temporary separation for fasting and prayer, but but you get the idea from that that he's not suggesting any kind of thing like permanent separation that that we sometimes hear about in our day and time. Yes. So I think that's the best way I could answer it. I don't think it's biblical. I don't. You couldn't justify it. The Scripture doesn't authorize it, and it would actually prevent you from being able to fulfill the responsibilities you're supposed to be fulfilling in the marriage uh, relationship. Certainly. Um, and uh, uh, husbands are to love their wives. How can you do that? How can you fulfill that command uh, if you can't even live together under the same roof? Yeah. All right. So I, I don't think we could justify the idea of legal separation. Now, that is sort of tied to the to the other question that's come in the chat room. Can a person divorce because the partner being physically abusive and then never be remarried for the rest of their life, still be okay biblically. So that's a little bit more specific. We can make it even a little bit more generic. How about just in general? Could we divorce and never remarry? Because a lot of uh, the stuff you've been reading about here says if you divorce your wife and marry another, does that mean then that I could just divorce my wife? We just we just have a mutual agreement that we're going to get a divorce, and neither one of us is going to get remarried. Is that okay? Well... Uh, I've actually had people ask that question. My answer to that would have to be no, for if if for no other reason, very basically, is it would be a violation of the vow that we made when we got married. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, that's not an option that's given in the scripture. Plus, it violates the very the very basic 
commitment that you make when you get married. So I would say, no, you can't. Some people say the, the problem with divorce is getting remarried. No, the divorce itself is sin. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the apostle Paul said, verse 10, to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. Stop right there. What does he say to the wife? Don't depart from your husband. That's a command, right? What if you did depart from your husband? Well, you'd be sinning, right? Because you'd be breaking that basic command. Absolutely. He goes on to say, if she departs, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Let not the husband put away his wife. Now, some people take that verse 11 and say, well, she, it's okay if she departs so long as she stays unmarried. No, she already, she already committed the sin of verse 10. She wasn't supposed to depart from her husband. She sinned when she did that. If she does do that, verse 11, then I think Paul is saying certainly don't compound the problem by marrying someone else. Uh, remain unmarried or be reconciled to your husband, but don't certainly don't compound the issue by marrying someone else. But uh, some people, I mean, it's just it's just right there. It's on the page. Let not the wife depart from her husband. That's a command. When you do what the command says you're not supposed to do, that's a sin. So you'd be sinning to depart even if you remained unmarried. He says don't certainly don't marry someone else. You, if you you know, if be you, reconciled if you can. But if, if you've messed up and you've disobeyed that commandment, <laughs> yeah. don't compound it by marrying someone else. Yeah. But it is not license. I mean, he'd be talking in circles if he said don't get a divorce. Oh, but if you're going to get a divorce, just don't get married. That It doesn't make any sense yeah. logically. Yeah. You could parallel that to first one, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. John was writing so they would not sin, but if they sin, there was a way to handle that. Here's what you do if you do sin. He wasn't saying, well, don't sin, but if you want to, that's okay. No, don't sin. And here's the what you do if you do. And, and, and that's the same construction we have here in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10, 11. Don't divorce. If you do, certainly don't make it worse doing something else. And, uh, well, in uh, Jesus' instruction, uh, verse 6 of Matthew chapter 19, So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate again. Does God say it's okay to, for you to separate or divorce and not get married? No. Plain and simple, don't get a divorce. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think I think that's the first part of that answer. Now, there's a very there's a very emotional aspect to this second question. Can a person divorce because the part because of the partner being physically abusive? Can you divorce? And then it goes on to say, and then maybe this remain unmarried. Remain unmarried. Well, take out the abusive part. We've already answered. Can you divorce as long as you don't get remarried? No. And that's a sin, right? That's not the Bible pattern, and the Bible specifically says don't do it. Now add in that parenthetical, but my partner has been abusive. Can I divorce because my partner has been abusive and never marry again? Well, again, uh, this is really emotional. And, uh, you, you, and, yeah. and through the years, unfortunately, we've had occasion to talk to people who've been involved in that very sort of thing. And it's re- you talk about an emotionally charged situation. And, and you know, if if you had a loved one and their mate was abusing them, you'd want to you 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 would your emotions would just you know want want you'd want to do something to mm-hmm. that guy you know about beat him over there with a baseball bat or something but it step back from the emotional edge for a minute and and ask 
is that an exception stated in the scripture? And it's not and stated in the scripture. And so you couldn't say, yeah, it's okay to divorce if your mate has been abusive. It's not, we can't find authority for the scripture. Now, having said that, that's not to say that you can't take steps to protect yourself. Right? Call the police. My husband's beating me. Call the police. That's what the police are there for. The First Corinthians 13, or excuse me, Romans 13 says that the that civil authority exists for the punishment of evildoers. Let them punish him. So uh, there, there are avenues. Uh, I, I would not, I would not even object to the idea of getting away from the immediate point of danger. No, in other words, my, my my husband is beating me with a with a bat. Get out of the house. You don't you don't have to stand there and let him keep hitting you. But you can't go back. You may never get to go back. He may he he may remain crazily abusive forever, and you may never be safe in his presence alone. But you can't say I'm leaving now, and I'm not ever coming back. You can say you can say I'm getting away from him while he's swinging that bat. I don't have to stand there and let him beat me with the bat. I'll come back as soon as my safety, my children's safety, is is assured. As long as as soon as I get some guarantee that. They're not going to be this way. I, my aim is to to be with my husband. I, I made a commitment to do that. My aim is to be with my husband. And when 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 there's a, a reasonable guarantee of safety, I'll be there. But I don't have to. I don't. I don't, th- I don't think God would expect. I, I I think the principles of self-defense that I believe the Bible teaches would would allow for a person to defend themselves against violent attack from anyone, including their own spouse. So uh, again, but again, there's no legal separation there, and you couldn't say I'm doing this and I'm doing it, and I'm never going back. You, you don't have the authority to do that. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven in the chat room. We'd love your comments tonight. A little quiet there, but if you've got comments or questions, send them in. We want to hear from you. All right. So, uh, oh, Kent said yeah. fornication is the only grounds for divorce and/or remarriage. Only the innocent violated mate has the scriptural authority for divorce and/or remarriage. Matthew five thirty-two, Matthew nineteen nine. By no stretch of one's imagination can one scripturally conclude that the guilty partner has the same authority for divorce and remarriage as the innocent violated party. I think that's right. Or partner. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think that's exactly right. All right. Uh, all right, thanks, Kent, for the, for that email. Let's let's grab our last break, Jacob, and when we come back, then we're going to race to the top of the hour, talking about about seven different things that people say to try and justify divorce and remarriage for for causes other than fornication. We're going fast at the top of the hour or to the top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Hi, my name is Mike Johnson. I'm a member here at the College of View Church of Christ. Have you ever heard someone say that the members of the Church of Christ are too legalistic? Generally, people say this when we say that we must be careful to follow all the commands that God has given us. When we say, God says we must do this, or God doesn't command us to do that, people respond with, the members of the church of Christ are too legalistic. 
Well, while it may be impossible to know exactly what people mean when they make this accusation, if they are accusing us of being legalistic because we say that we should follow all the instructions that God has given us, then that accusation is correct. But let me ask you this. Which of the commands that God has given us should we ignore? Can we pick and choose which commands we follow, or must we follow them all? Jesus said we have to follow all the commands of God when he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We want to call Jesus our Lord, so we try to follow all the commandments that he has given us. We don't in any way think that following God's commands earns our salvation, but we do think it is necessary to be pleasing to him. Here at the College of You Church of Christ, we're trying to follow every command that God has given us. If, as a result, some people call us legalistic, then so be it. We think it's what God calls being righteous. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Although drinking by persons under age 21 is illegal, people aged 12 to 20 years drink 11% of all alcohol consumed in the United States. More than 90% of this alcohol is consumed in the form of binge drinking. On average, underage drinkers consume more drinks per drinking occasion than adult drinkers do. That information is via the Centers for Disease Control. The Word of God says in Proverbs 23, beginning verse 31, Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Okay, as we get back now and go to the top of the hour, errors that people have proposed regarding... Uh, unfortunately, there's a lot. Of, we, we're certainly not going to cover everyone, but cover some that we've heard or that seem to be okay. re- repeated more often. First one is uh, divorce and remarriage, any cause, any reason. Wh- whoever you are, whatever you've done... You can divorce your mate and marry again. All cause, all reason, no cause, no fault divorce. Everything is allowed. Well, again, Jesus' statements uh, in Matthew chapter 19 were around that question. Yeah. So uh, They were actually asking, you know, can, can uh, uh, the question Just any was, reason. Uh, can he, can, uh, is verse it lawful? 3, Matthew yep. 19, verse thir- 3, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? So they actually asked that, and Jesus' answer was in verse 9, except it be for fornication. So to the direct question, can you divorce for any cause, Jesus' answer was only except it be for fornication. So I, that one to me is pretty easy to answer. Not that people don't argue with it, yeah. but it's pretty Well, simple. it's the norm in our society. Yeah. It's the absolute norm in our society. Yeah. But I've actually run into some people. Uh, I, I, I had a... A, a, a long written exchange with a preacher in California years ago who took that very basic position. Anybody and everybody could remarry. And I just don't know how you can get around that statement of Jesus. I think that one's pretty straightforward. Okay. Kent says there's only one cause for fornication. One cause, and that is fornication, Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9. Okay. All right. Number two. This, here's another idea that some have this actually at the opposite end of the spectrum there are some who teach that you can't divorce and remarry at all for any reason uh, a while back we had a fellow who was listening to the virtual bible state pretty regular i think he's kind of dropped off because we we didn't agree with him on this specific point uh, he took this position no divorce no remarriage uh, uh, not at all not for any reason but again, you'd have to go to the statement of Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication and marry another, committeth adultery. 
Right, now think about that. Whosoever shall put away his wife, and it is for fornication, if he marries another, does not commit adultery. That have to be the way that that verse is constructed. Yeah. And so the cause of fornication and taking action for that cause clearly, uh, I think, would be uh, uh, authority for remarriage without sin. Okay. Um, there's a um, there's an argument made that that phrase there in Matthew 19:9, uh, except it be for fornication. Uh, there's some who argue that 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 phrase isn't in um, manuscripts. Uh, I thought I had a note here about it, but I don't see it. But it, it's in the, it's in the vast majority of manuscripts, and and the concept is also borne out there in Matthew five thirty two. So I don't think there's any. I don't think that we have to wonder whether that is uh, a, a a reasonable understanding of God's law. The overwhelming number of manuscripts include the exception phrase in Matthew nineteen nine, and the notion is repeated in Matthew five thirty two. All right, uh, all right, two Let's down. See. Let me Three see if go. I had. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's the note I had on that. Okay, yeah. Okay. All right, two down. Three to go. The next one. Now this what was this one used to be pretty common. I don't know if it still is. Well, some people say that baptism washes away previous marriages and and then you basically should stay married to the person you're married to when you are baptized okay that's that's the argument that has been offered before so you're well so this person's out fornicating divorcing remarrying divorcing remarrying divorcing remarrying just total disregard for god's law which is understandable I've i've had seven previous wives and i'm married to my eighth one now but now i learn the truth and and now I, I'm I'm baptized. Well, isn't baptism for the remission of sins? No. And so that sort of washes away uh, all of those. And I didn't know God's will back then. I mean, I did, I was just living like the world. So now. well, yeah. Hang on to that just a little bit because we're going to talk about that in the next point here about who's who, who's amenable to the law of well, Christ. But yeah, but I, but I mean, I was just I was in total violation of God's will. But now, now I'm going to straighten up and I'm going to get be yeah. baptized can i stay in the marriage well that's the point that some make with this idea that baptism washes away sin. baptism washes away sins well, what sins does it wash away well peter said in acts 238 repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the holy ghost repentance has to precede baptism and so i've got to repent and and the question then would be what does repentance require concerning the sin of divorce and remarriage. No, so I, I've divorced and I shouldn't have, and I remarried when I didn't have authority to do so. How? And so, in repenting of that, if I'm currently married to a woman that that I don't have a scriptural right to be married to, I've got to stop that relationship. That's a sinful relationship, and I can't continue in that relationship. I, I mean, you could draw all kinds of parallels. If if I've been guilty of of uh, thievery i stole your car yesterday i learned the truth and was baptized today can i keep your car no nobody says that uh you know, I, I'd, I'd have to give the car back and face and face the music as they say for grand theft auto uh, i think the big the, the answer to that to that position is 
has to do with repentance. Right. And how, how you could, how a person could say they had repented and then remain in, in a relationship that's not authorized is, uh, that just doesn't fit. All right. We have time for your comments if you want to squeeze them in now. All right. All right. Now the next one is interesting because some suggest that now this is this is a, this is a little more involved twist on that sort of the same idea. So I had these divorces and remarriages in my life before I was a Christian. So it's it's not the idea that baptism washes away uh the, the those those it's that those weren't really sins anyway because non-christians are not amenable to the law of christ pertaining to marriage uh really the only the only sin of an unbeliever is unbelief they claim mm-hmm. and the only thing that you really need to repent of is failing to believe and when you and and then you you repent of your unbelief and you're baptized and then from then on, all of these other rules apply to you, but before you were baptized, they don't apply to you. Uh, so they, the, the argument is, non-Christians are not obligated, or they're not being, they're not responsible for keeping the law of Christ in marriage. Yep. Now, there's a real interesting argument against that uh, in First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine. Paul says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. This is a real important passage because it actually says some of these Corinthians had been adulterers before they became Christians. Well, if they weren't subject to the law of Christ, how could they have been guilty of adultery? Right. Uh, So uh, I think that's the passage that answers that argument. Absolutely. Um, By the way, also notice in regards to the previous point, well, when you're baptized, does it wash that away? Well, a, a couple of the expressions there in that list of sins that the Corinthians had been was that they were homosexuals. They were effeminate, abusers of themselves, of mankind, the, the King James Version says, and those, those are descriptives of the sin of homosexuality. That's what they were before they became Christians. Did being baptized wash that away? No. They had been drunkards and thieves before they were baptized. Did that wash that away and they could just continue doing what they were doing? No. They had to repent. They had to stop their sinful conduct. And you also have to stop the sinful conduct of an of a unscriptural marriage relationship if you're involved in that. Along those lines, guest 4194 says, Still the same principle applies. If what I was doing before I was baptized was sinful and I remain in that relationship or that activity, then it is still sin. Not that hard to understand, in my opinion. Boil it down to whatever activity you want. If it was sinful beforehand, it is still sinful afterwards. I agree. I agree completely on that. Thank you for that comment. Kenton Georgia says, Non-Christians are amenable or subject to the law of Christ concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage, according to Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9. If they are not, how could they be subject to the law of Christ on anything? If they're not subject to the law of Christ on anything, they could not be alien, alien sinners or non-Christians and could not be guilty of committing a single sin. Where there's no law, there's no transgressions. Romans 4, verse 15. So he's also expressing just the the foolishness of that argument. It just doesn't work. Yes, thank you, Ken. All right. All right. All right. Quickly, another argument is made 
both parties in the divorce are free to make to marry if the cause is fornication. In other words, the guilty party may also remarry. The, here's the the argument of this is so we're bound together in marriage, but one party commits fornication and the marriage is severed. We're not married anymore. So so since the marriage is severed, then both parties are free to be married again to someone else because the the marriage relationship has been broken. The guilty oh. party is free to remarry. Okay, all right. That, that's the argument that some people make. And and that's just the wrong picture. And, and by the way, it confuses a couple of biblical terms. One is one term is bound; the other is married. Uh, in a right marriage relationship, you are bound and married to the same person. The woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if her husband be dead, she's loose from the laws of her husband so that she's so while her husband liveth, if she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she's free from that law so that she's no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Notice, it uses two terms. That's Romans 7, 2 and 3. It uses two terms. One is bound, one is married. You, you're bound to your spouse. Now, if you sin and divorce for an unscriptural reason and get married to someone else, you could be married to someone else while still bound in regards to that first mate. And that's the thing that is being confused here with the idea that the, both parties are free. When divorce occurs, the innocent person who puts away the guilty party for fornication, that person is now unmarried and unbound. And so they can go and marry and be bound to someone else. The guilty person who's put away, they're not married anymore, but they're still bound by the law of God in regards to that first relationship that they violated. Matthew 19.9 would say that explicitly there. All right. All right, and we've got one more to go here. This is is a little bit of an unusual one, uh, and don't hear it a lot anymore. A number of years ago, it became sort of a controversial concept. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15 if the unbelieving depart, uh, uh, back up a verse. This is First Corinthians seven, verse uh, thirteen. The woman which a husband, a woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. The, there was a preacher 40 years ago or more that was, his name was James Bales, and he was taking the position that this allows that if your mate de- deserts you, what we would call desertion, then this verse, he says, would justify you being able to marry someone else. Uh, and and it was kind of a hot topic for a while, but I think it's pretty easily answered. In in First Corinthians seven verse fifteen, a brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. That's not the same word that we were discussing a minute ago in regards to the marriage bond. It's a different Greek word. This is not talking about the marriage bond. It doesn't, this is not saying you're not bound in marriage anymore if your husband has deserted you. This this is basically saying, here's a wife. Her husband's deserted her. She has wifely duties to her husband, but he's not here. She's not she's not 
under bondage to do what she can't possibly do because her husband has deserted her. That's what this is saying. This is not saying she's no longer bound. She's still bound as a married person. Whoever, Wherever her husband is, she's still bound to him, but she's not under bondage to be performing wifely duties that she can't possibly perform because he's left the scene. All That's right. what that verse is saying. Okay. All right. We are out of time. I think we've covered them all. Oh, uh, Kent says, 1 Corinthians 7.15 does not authorize the abandoned Christian for re- uh, remarriage because of two reasons. One, such would contradict that what Christ taught, and two, the term bondage is translated from the Greek word douleo, uh-huh. where this term speaks with reference to that of slavery. 1 Corinthians 7.15, not under bondages in the negated perfect tense, which means that the Christian was never has never been in that type of bondage. Had the marriage bond been under consideration, Paul would have used the word dio, which means to tie or bind together. Yeah, different right. words, different words. Thank you for that. Kate. And and so that argument based upon a faulty language. Dwight says, "Is there a time frame though for divorcing your mate?" Uh, I guess if they that you yeah. were separated or. Well, no, I think what Dwight is probably asking is, so my wife was unfaithful to me. How long do I have to make a decision Uh-oh. to put her away for that reason? Uh, and, and the Bible doesn't specify a time frame. Uh, there is some judgment involved. But I would argue that if my... Uh, I think everybody would say, just from a common sense point of view, there has to be some limitation on that. So my wife was unfaithful to me, but I decided to stay with her. Twenty years from now, um, I changed my mind. I decided I am going to divorce her for that. I don't think anybody thinks that fits the pattern. Uh, so I, I, and, and I understand Dwight's question very well, and I've actually been asked that question before. But, and I don't know the I don't know a, a perfect answer. It's not specified in the scripture, but I think uh, just logically. There is some time factor involved in that judgment. All right. Kyle, any comments from you tonight before we close? Uh, it's just a, it's a good study. It's something that uh, we said said that we keep it's a necessity to keep going over this, but it's something that's really lost upon the world today. So yeah, we're not know. getting it. Our society's certainly not teaching we it. We need to remind ourselves there's a lot we've talked about a lot of emotional emotionally charged uh, situations tonight, and certainly we don't want to minimize any of those uh, emotions and the seriousness. But we'll go back to the premise we started with tonight, that these instructions aren't a plague or a curse. These instructions are for our good. In all this, whatever situation we may find ourselves in, even if we're divorced without cause and we might be tempted to remarry, God's instructions are still for our good. Follow his instructions and be blessed. Um, It may not be what you would prefer, but... Do what God said. You know, Jesus even suggested, uh, when he taught in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9, uh, he was setting a high bar for marriage, and his disciples said to him, verse 10, if the case of a man be so with his wife, it's good not to marry. He said, all men cannot receive the saying, say those to whom it is given, for there are some eunuchs which were born so from their mother's wombs, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. So Jesus there is saying, some some will understand and choose and make this decision to re, to remain. Uh, and, and basically, I think he was using the term eunuch there in a figurative sense, being a celibate state for the kingdom's sake, uh, right. because that's more important. All right. 
If you've got questions about what we've said tonight, if you disagree, or if you just have further questions, would like further discussion, questions at collegeview.com. We'd like to hear from you. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Thanks for being here tonight, by the way. Yeah. Enjoyed the discussion. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings and evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative informative study of God's Word.